0: Five percent of people can't even remember the topic, okay? As a, someone who occasionally preaches, that's a little bit discouraging, <laughs> uh, especially when the last time I preached was three weeks ago. <laughs> um, but I mean, really, 95% can't remember even what the topic was. I, in my class, I have a, a good professor, I really like him, but I couldn't resist, he just finished writing this book called Transformational Preaching, and I'd been reviewing some of these statistics, and so I just had to ask him, I said, well, that's interesting, you've written that book, but you know, statistics showed 95%, can't even remember the topic two weeks later, isn't that kind of audacious to write a book called Transformational Preaching, if that's the case? And he said, very good question, but we don't cover that in this class. <laughs> Preaching, too, we cover that. Um, then I read a book by a man named Charles Craft. He's a professor at Fuller. Who He's kind of controversial. Some people don't like him. I, I really like his approach because he's always pressing the envelope, thinking about new ideas. In fact, I had him for a, a class once at Biola. His wife taught the class and invited him in, and he had recently written a book about um, Christian communication and, and also about in cross-cultural settings. And it was kind of controversial. And so right as he started, he said, well, before I begin, are there any questions? And some student raised a hand. He said, well, what do you think about this book that so-and-so just wrote? And the whole book was written to counter the book you wrote and to point out all the errors in it. <laughs> and he replied, Oh, yeah. Well, that guy's first mistake was that he thought I believed everything I wrote. <laughs> so he's willing to test ideas and throw them out. That these are the things he's, I'm thinking about. I'm not sure if they're really right. And I, and I know that's very difficult for some people, but for him, uh, he enjoys doing that. But he had a book, and one of the, on communication, one of the chapters was The Ten Myths of Preaching. And um, he basically kind of came to the conclusion, he said... Preaching is a really crummy way to communicate information. He says, it's a lecture. It's one-way communication. If you've got a bunch of information you want to get out, then it's okay. But if your goal is life transformation, really, a sermon is a crummy way to do it. So I was reading that. I was going, hmm, wow, that's kind of... And then he ends up by saying, he says, well, but there is one thing that sermons are good for. And he says... They bond the congregation together through a shared experience. So I I think his idea basically, kind of a low view of sermons, but he's like, you know, afterwards people go, ah, we made it through that sermon, huh? You know, we're we're bonded by it or something. So, but the scriptures tell us we see lots of preaching. The gospel has spread. One of the primary means has been through preaching. So we can't discount it completely. But it, it does... Concern me, and then i I started doing a little math. How much time will the average crossway person spend listening to sermons during their lifetime? So I figured, well, all right, say so you don 't really start listening to sermons until so you graduate from high school, so from nineteen and then I looked up the average age, uh, men live to be what is it um, to be oh, let's oh i didn 't put the actual number so women nineteen plus 62, women live to be 81 point something, and the average man lives to be 76 years old. So I calculated that all up, and I figured it out that we, men end up listening to 2,170 hours of sermons, and women, 2,347. That's if the average sermon was 50 minutes, I calculated that up. So then I, I, I thought, wow, that seems like a lot. And then I figured out, okay, what if your job was forty hours a week just to sit and listen to those sermons? How long would it take till you heard two thousand one hundred and seventy? How many forty-hour weeks? And for men, it's fifty-four weeks. For women, that's fifty-nine weeks. You'd have to spend over a year, forty hours a week listening to sermons. To yes, that seems cruel, doesn't it? Uh, uh, harsh and um, harsh, but unfair. Um, harsh and unfair. So I, I, that kind of, I thought, wow, that is really a long time. And I'm coming at this not just as someone who occasionally preaches, but I listen, I've listened to a lot of sermons in my life. And um, there were many years in my life where I'd have cassette tapes and listen to sermons, and even now I listen to podcasts and different sermons. I'm always wanting to grow and get more ideas for preaching and better understand better handle the Word of God. So I think I've listened to more than the average, and I was thinking about it, I thought, man, by now I ought to really be a spiritual giant. But I look and I think, man, but I haven't, sermons haven't impacted me as much as they should. And I began thinking about that. And so I want to get us all to to think about this idea, um, because we keep coming to church, we keep hearing sermons, but the Bible tells us we're to be good stewards of everything that God gives us in life. So I want to, us to think about that uh, today. And as I looked at, man, the number of hours, and in our lifetime, the weeks, or over a year, we're going to have of listening to sermons. Uh, we really need to think about that. And I realized, you know, sometimes when we're doing something over and over again, we need to stop and sharpen our acts. I grew up in Ohio, and some of the winters we'd have quite a bit of snow, and our family had a fireplace, so my dad had a pickup truck, and often he'd bring back some wood from somebody that had a tree fall down, whatever, and we'd get out the chainsaw and cut it up, and then we'd take turns uh, splitting the wood and stacking it up and then using it all throughout the winter, and it's hard work, splitting the wood, and uh, occasionally my dad would... Always come out and remind me, he said, don't forget to stop and sharpen your axe. And like the first time he said it, I was like, huh? And then he, t- t- you know, so he took the axe downstairs and he had a grinder and it had a coarse and a finer one. And so he'd put it up there and zzz, turn it over, zzz, go to the finer one and sharpen it like that. It only took a couple of minutes. And then we'd go back up and the first time I'd swing it, boom, it went right through the wood. I was like, wow, that's amazing, the difference yeah, we took two or three minutes, but this is going to take 30 minutes off the time it would otherwise have taken me to cut this wood. Um, And I thought it's kind of the same thing uh, in the kitchen. Um, Maybe I don't want to be sexist here. I don't know if maybe it's the wife in your household that chops the wood and you cut the tomatoes or vice versa, but... I know I've been in the kitchen before, and one of the things I hate is when you have a tomato, and you have a dull knife, and you're trying to cut it, and it like, sl- see how it just slips off that, and I know I end up, I have to like point and make a cut there, and then try to cut the tomato, and if you're doing a bunch of them, ah, it gets old. So you go to the drawer, and we have one of these, and you know, I try to get it out real quick and sharpen the knife. I hope this works. But, you know, after a little bit of, sh- look at that, it goes right through, you know, and cuts through the skin. Um, and that's what I'm saying we need to do today. We listen to a lot of sermons. We have a lot of quiet times. We go to a lot of community groups. We got go to a lot of men's groups. Um, some people maybe feel, I heard a story by uh, Howard Hendricks, he was talking about, He was given a test at Dallas Seminary and one of his students was walking down the hall to the test and he just noticed the student was kind of walking funny and he said, Hey, how's it going? He was gonna shake their hand, he said, Oh prof, don't touch me, I might leak. Because he'd been studying all the material for the test. And sometimes, you know, we feel like that. Oh, I'm I'm just overwhelmed already. So we're gonna discuss that as well. All these spiritual input in our lives. But is it making a difference? How do we have it make a difference in our lives? So I thought it's only fair that I talk a little bit about, this is a uh, takes two to tango, right? Um, there's things the preacher can do to help, and then there's things the listeners can do. Now, I mostly want to talk about, as listeners, how can we have God's Word have more impact in our life? But I briefly want to talk about some things preachers can do. I think as preachers, it's important that we listen to God And ask him, what is it people need to hear so that we're addressing real needs? We need to prepare well. We need to experience and apply the text to our own lives first, and then to to share it with others. Um, I think this is true, like, even in home groups, if we're we're sharing. Um, We need to keep it to a few points and then try to explain, illustrate, and apply them well. And it makes me think of, in Nehemiah chapter 8, 8, it says... When they found the book of the law, it says, The Levites read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. I think this is one of the uh, important things that a teacher, preacher does, is make the meaning of the text clear to others. We need to keep the focus on the text and off the preacher. Sometimes we... I've uh, all seen preachers that go off on tangents and seems like the whole talk is about them and not about the, the text because it's the text, God's Word, especially God's Word as people understand it, what it meant to the original audience and or what it means to us is that that's what transforms lives. And then also we need to share our lives openly with people because in communication the messenger is the message. The me- ideally the messenger should embody the message. So, and that's a difficult one, preaching many times. It's a lot easier to preach biblical truths than to live them out. But, and people know when, you, when you're when you not living them out, and, and it's much harder to receive some from somebody that you, you know is not doing so well in that area. Uh, we don't like to learn from hypocrites, and we don't like to be hypocrites. So that's a challenge. Then also we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to change people's lives, and also even while we're Preaching this sermon need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to know what to say or if he has something new for us or something he wants to change for us to say. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. So God's word is powerful. We can never forget that. And as we realize how powerful an influence it is in our life, hopefully we'll, we'll have a hunger for it. And I know there's, all, there's times when we, we lose our appetite for God's Word, but we need to do everything we can to recapture that. And I hope today will help us think about some of those ideas. Also, preachers should give a time and opportunity for people to interact about the text. And I think this is one of the wonderful things that we do at Crossway, is we give people that chance after the sermon to, to talk about it. And I think that's important. And even as I look at this list, I'm very thankful. I think Paul does all of these things uh, that we would look through. So I feel very blessed. I know he spends a lot of time preparing and listening to God. And, and we're really blessed that he preaches the text and shows us what the meaning is and helps us to apply it in our lives. Lastly, we need to keep people engaged with the sermon. We need to, Jesus always made things memorable and meaningful. Um, And we need to to keep people engaged. We can't go too long. That's a constant struggle. Uh, In my class, it was interesting. uh, Our our teacher, he's been preaching for many years, and he's quite a good preacher. But he said, somebody asked him about the length of a sermon. He said, well, said, to be honest with you, it is really the exceptional preacher that can keep people engaged for 45 to 60 minutes. says it's, Really, it's just an exceptional person that's able to do that. And then he looked out at our class and he said, and I should say in this group that probably for all of you, there's one less exceptional preacher in the world than you think. And that's probably true. <laughs> um, but then, and so he's talking about the length and then he said, now... Oh, we just turned in our first 20-minute sermon, and he looked them over and uh, had given feedback, and he said, now, but according to length, he says, my dad, he has this theory, my dad says, I've never heard a short sermon that wasn't good. (laughs) And he said, his reply to his dad was, he said, well, you've never taught a preaching class, have you? Um, We'd all just turned in our 20-minute sermons, and (laughs) they were lacking a little bit to be desired. So these are a few things the preacher can do, but what I really want to get to is what we as listeners um, can do. And the big principle here is we need to increase our interaction in varied ways with the Word of God. Let me kind of walk us through this. First, Romans 12, 1 and 2, especially verse 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And the the key to this text here is verse 2. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds. So what we think really matters. What we think influences the way we act. And that's why it's so important that we get God's Word in our lives, that we get it from our head down into our hearts. Many times our heads are filled with God's knowledge, but it doesn't make it those important 12 inches to our heart. And this is saying our mind, we're transformed as our mind is renewed. And of course, he's talking about renewing our whole Christian worldview based on the Scripture, That's how we renew our mind, and that's how we're transformed. So God's Word is powerful in transforming lives. Then James 21 to 25, we read this earlier. He starts off, he's saying, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is prevalent, and humbly accept the Word planted in you which can save you. And just to stop there, I I love the way the Bible phrases this. Accept the Word... Planted in you it's saying God's word is like a seed, and it gets planted. now if we water it and we keep it cultivated, that seed of his word will become very fruitful in our lives. If we take a sermon and we think about it, we meditate on it, we talk with others about it, we pray about it, ask God God would you this is the sermon on, on faith and our importance of relying on you And we pray, Lord, help me, I want to learn to rely upon you more and more. And you talk with your spouse or a friend about it and ways that you can do that. You're cultivating that seed, watering it so that it can become fruitful in our life. But many times we all have to admit, we hear a sermon, we hear a teaching, maybe it's at home group, it's here, wherever, on the radio. We hear it and then we we walk away. And that seed's there, but it's not watered at all, and it it dies, and nothing comes from it. But God wants us to be good stewards of everything he allows into our life. So he plants his word, and it's like a seed. Do what it says. All right, verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed. They will be blessed in what they do. So he said, it's like looking at a mirror. If you look in the mirror and you notice that your appearance is all disheveled and you walk away, that's, that's foolishness. And he compares that. That's the foolishness of hearing God's word and walking away and doing nothing with it. It should, it should bother us. I know cases, when we were in China, there was one particular guy from the uh, United Kingdom that had some of the worst personal upkeep skills. What do you call that? Cleanliness skills, hygiene skills of anybody I've ever met. And I remember, and he loved to talk, and he, and he liked me. So he was always coming to me to talk. But he had, for nose hair, he had bushes just growing out of his nose. And he, I can't, I can't believe their house would have a mirror. Because when he shaved, he just had patches all over that, like three days of growth here, and then completely clean here, and then a patch down here. And when I talked with him, I couldn't hear a word he was saying. Because all I could think about was, How could you miss that patch there? It's it's like three or four days of growth, and your nose cut those hairs. That's just incredible. It's just revolting, literally. But that's how it is. You look in the mirror. He would look in the mirror. I guess I never substantiated he had a mirror, but I can't imagine him. He had to have a mirror. Every house had mirrors, but... Somehow he said, "Well, that's good enough, I guess. Whatever." I mean, I thought of—I was in charge of this conference we did every year. I was going to have rig it so that we had a raffle at the end, and it was like nose clippers, and I was going to make sure that he got them, you know. But (laughs) I couldn't figure out how to do that without everybody knowing, and they would give me a hard time about it. So, but everybody knew it. I mean, you just mentioned his name, people roll their eyes, you know, and this, you know, they just have to look at you and say nose hairs, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, they're just, I mean, you'd need lawn clippers to get those things clean. (laughs) But he looked at the mirror and walked away for some reason. It's like sometimes we see men, a few occasions I've seen men where you run into them like at the workplace and they've got a little piece of toilet paper here and here and there's like a little red blood dot there because they cut themselves shaving. And I think the reason is you cut yourself and you put that there to dry the blood uh, but it's not dried right away, so you walk away and then you forget about it. But when somebody sees you, it's, it's it's embarrassing. I mean, it's so obvious. It's like, hey, man, you got you got bloody paper there on your face, and you know, oh, oh, yeah, take it off. But again, someone's looked in the mirror and then walked away and forgot what's there. It's it's embarrassing. It shouldn't be that way, and that's what God's word is saying here. We hear God's Word, we hear a sermon, a talk, and we go away and don't do anything about it. We don't apply it. We just hear it, but don't do it. That should be embarrassing for us, because that's how we grow. As we do it, there's a verse somewhere that talks about, as you do obey my commands, you'll know that they're true. It it reinforces not only that God's Word is true, but uh, that all of them are true, that That he loves us and his word transforms us. So don't look in the mirror and walk away. It's, It's embarrassing, James says. Okay. And then he ends up by saying, but if you look into the law and what does the law do? Gives freedom in our lives. And continues in it. Not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it they. You will be blessed. You will be blessed in what you do if you Look intently at God's Word and continue looking at intently at it. That's why we talked about the key of what we're saying here is to continue to have lots of interaction with God's Word. Don't hear a sermon and leave. Think about it again. Talk about it on the way home. Maybe Sunday afternoons. Maybe sit down and review your notes. Or if you go to home group, after you get home, look at it. Or the next day, take some time to look at it again so that you're watering that seed, that it grows and produces fruit in our lives. We talked about Romans 2, that it renews our mind, that we're transformed by that. Then Psalm 1, this is just an amazing psalm that gives us a real picture, again, of how this works. Let's read this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, "...nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers." Wouldn't you love that to be your life? But the wicked, the wicked are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So as we look at this, this word blessed that's used here in the Old Testament is blessed or happy. Happy is the man, and then he tells what this man should not do if he wants to be happy, so he doesn't hang around the wicked or the sinners or the scoffers. But then he goes to, what does he do? But, so here, this is a key transition here. But the blessed man, his delight is in the law of God, the law of the Lord. And on it, he meditates day and night. He's continually thinking about it. And what's this man, this blessed man like? He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Isn't that the kind of tree you want to represent your life? One that's fruitful. And why is it fruitful? Because it's planted by streams of water. Our lives are nourished by God's word, is the analogy here. Then he talks about those that aren't blessed, the wicked. Oh. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. They will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. So the wicked won't be among the righteous. And then he goes back at the end again to the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous. Again, pointing back to verse 2. Who are the righteous? The blessed, the happy. They're the ones whose delight is in God's Word and who are constantly thinking about it. Now this is difficult. It's like the verse, Pray continually, be joyful always, give thanks in all circumstances. That seems so difficult. But as we learn to abide in Christ, we shoot up prayers throughout the day, we ask God to speak to us from His Word, or maybe we're memorizing a Scripture. As we memorize Scripture, it comes to our mind A song comes into our head so that we are, it is possible to all the time be having some fellowship with God at work, at driving home. You shoot up a little prayer or you just say a little thank you to God. Are we going to be a radish or a fruitful tree? Look at the radish. What's its root like? (laughs) Which one represents your life? As far as a tree planted by streams of water, that the roots go down deep and they're drawing, there's so many roots and they're drawing up so much nourishment from the word and they're producing such fruit. Or are you the radish eater? The radish. Little teeny fruit. With a little teeny root. <laughs> the root. What's the root? Very little time spent in God's Word. Yeah, I don't, I don't really participate in the quiet time sharing because I don't really have one. I only got one root. I, I try to listen to the message on Sunday morning. That's my little root. And I'm always tired, so I don't always get a lot from it. So I'm just a radish. How easy is it? It's easy to pull a radish out of the ground. It's just got that one root going straight down. <laughs> how about pulling that apple tree out? Which one do you want your life to be? Of course, we want it to be the fruitful tree. But it doesn't happen overnight. So hopefully today we'll sharpen our axe. We'll sharpen our knife. We'll sharpen our thinking about how... Do we build a process that we can be fruitful, live fruitful lives, impacted by God's Word? And then there's this amazing psalm, Psalm 119. It's got 170-some verses, if you want to memorize it. Um, and it talks about the blessed man. And it just says, it's all about God's Word, that the blessed man, is, his life is dominated by God's word, so I've just picked out a number of verses from that. But read it sometime; it's amazing. It'll inspire you that yes, God's word transforms our lives, and may may this be our prayer that we would be like this psalmist that sang this. And the cool thing about this psalm is it's uh, an acrostic, so it has 22 stanza. Every stanza is a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And then within every stanza, there's eight verses, and every verse starts with the same letter that the stanza is represented by. And then to think, so it's very clever, and then to think on top of this, then this is a psalm that they sang, so it made it even more memorable to sing. But it was singing basically about how great God's word is, how God's word transforms our lives. Let's listen to some of these. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, whose walk, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed, happy are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. O oh Lord, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. <coughs> your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Behold, I long for your precepts, In your righteousness give me life. Can you say that about your life? Do you long for God's commands? Do you long for his word? If not, pray, begin asking God to to change your heart that he would give you a hunger for his word, a love for it, and a love to obey it. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Lord, your statutes have been my songs in the house of my sojourning. I remember your name in the night, O Lord, and keep your law. This blessing has fallen to me that I have kept your precepts. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I am a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. So this love for his word transforms his view of God, makes him want to praise God all the more, and it helps him recognize God's character. Before I was afflicted and I went astray, but now, now I keep your word. You are good and you do good. God, teach me your statutes. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. In your steadfast love, give me life that I may keep the testimonies of your mouth. This person is in love with God's word. And what's kind of crazy, we're only halfway through, but he's talking about God's law, about the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. and Genesis, I would say, is a very interesting book. Exodus. Leviticus numbers, you think of Leviticus, all the dietary laws and other things and and this guy's crazy about it. He wants to live a blameless life. Just think how much more if he had the New Testament as well. I mean, this is just the law that he had, a part of God's word. We have both the Old Testament and the New Testament. I will never forget your precepts for. By them you have given me life. He saw life as coming from God's law, from his words. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemy, for it is ever with me. Because he's hidden God's word in his heart. He's memorized it. He's thought about it so much. How sweet are your words to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. It helps them to avoid sin because God's word are in his heart and they've become sweet to him. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. Your testimonies are my heritage forever for they are a joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. You, God, are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. 160, the sum of your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And then here at the near the end of the chapter, I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil or treasure. God, I rejoice at your word like somebody who comes upon treasure. Is that how you see God's word? I'm thankful well, there have been times in my life when God's word has been like that for me. But I'll be quick to admit there's times when I neglect God's word. But I make it my prayer that I would be like that, that I would see it like treasure, that I would value it like gold, like fine gold. So if you would, just take a moment to close your eyes. And we see the incredible passion of the psalmist here. And think throughout history, many, many people sang this psalm. And for some of them, it was a reflection of what, what, of the love they had for God's word. Probably for others, as they sang it, they were saying, Lord, I'm not quite there, but help me to love your word more. So would you just, with your eyes closed now, just take a moment and ask God to give you this kind of passion for his word. that you'd see it as treasure and you'd run to it because of all the benefits and joy that it gives you. Just pray to him now silently wherever you're at. Yes, Lord, we do make it our prayer. Help us, God. We need you. At times, our, our hearts are so fickle, and we chase after this and that. But, Lord, we know the power of your word to transform our lives. And, Lord, help us. We don't want to just be hearers, but to be doers. Help us to see your word like treasure, Lord. Create that thirst in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been talking this this idea that to increase the impact of God's Word, however we hear it as a sermon, community group, men's group on the radio, that we need to interact with it and have more and more exposure to it. Um, I was kind of thinking it's a little bit like we want to be pickled in God's Word. If you put, you know, vinegar and salt and then whatever else you put in for pickling and you drop your cucumbers in there and pull them out 30 minutes later you're going to still be eating a cucumber with a slight vinegary taste to it right we want God's word to soak into us and it and it seems like what the psalmist did day and night he was meditating he was being pickled by God's word um, that's what he wants he wants it to penetrate our entire lives, our entire heart. So I want to just talk about some practical ways to do this. Um, One thing would be, um, don't just discuss a sermon, but uh, consider making an application, even in the time after we uh, have a sermon, when we discuss. It's easy to actually, talk about other things other than the sermon, but most of the time we do talk about the sermon. Um, But Think about, well, I'm not just going to talk about the sermon. I realize the key is for me to be a doer. What can I put into action because of this? And sometimes five minutes with everybody sharing or seven, eight minutes isn't enough for us to really figure out an application. Sometimes we need to wait on God. So if you need that after the service or on your way home or later that day, when you hear God's word, take time that you can make an application from it so that you can be a doer. Talk about what you learn on your way home. I know many people do this. Uh, a lot, I know a lot of families ask their kids, oh, what did you learn in Sunday school today? What did you learn in youth group? Um, do you, you should also share what you learned in, in, in Sunday. I know this was one thing I've always been impressed with Helen when she worked at Disney, We'd go to church, and Monday night, seemed like she'd always come home all excited, and she'd oh yeah, I had a great chance to talk to my colleagues about yesterday's sermon. And I'd be thinking, what was yesterday's sermon? And then she would go on, oh, I told them about this, and I told them about that, and they asked me about, oh, why is it like this, and why is that? Um, and so those truths had even deeper impact in her own life, because she was thinking about them, she was sharing them with other people. There was more interaction with it. So talk about it on your way home. Paul was even talking about, you know, Sabbaths. How can we make our Sabbaths more meaningful? Maybe that's a time in the afternoon where you look over your sermon outline, or you think of the quiet times that you've had that week, or if your home group met. Um, you, You take time to let God speak to you, and again, you're interacting with those truths that God has given you that week. Uh, In that regard, I've always loved in Acts 17 at 11 it's talking about how Paul would preach and then it says, now the Berean Jews, so they were from this place called Berea, they were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. So Every time they heard the Apostle Paul preached, it says they were of such noble character that they went back and looked at the Bible to confirm, oh yeah, that is what it says. What was preached is true. And again, they had another interaction with the Word. I mean, this, in some ways, is not rocket science. Science. Taylor and I were just talking about this the other day. He, one of the books he has to read for his engineering class is How to Study Engineering. And it talks about how do you What's the best way to learn? And one of the things it kept saying is, go back and read the lesson again. Go back and review it. Don't just take your little quiz and then move on and then at mid midterm try to go back and remember those principles. Go back. Repetition. Interacting with the material over and over. You know, I think of um, some of the classes I had. I was a great, I, I learned to be a good test taker and uh, Especially in class where you had to memorize a lot of things, I was good at that. I always would come up with all these mnemonics. And when they'd say, they'd pass out the test and say, begin. And the first thing I'd do is up on the corner of the paper, I'd write all my mnemonics that would help me remember everything from that lesson. And it would take a couple minutes, but then the rest of the test was easy because I'd go back, oh yeah, they were weird mnemonics, but the weirder they were, the easier they were to remember. But the day after the test, if you were to ask me those questions again... It was gone. It was gone. Because I interacted with that material one time. And that was it. And sadly, that's... I mean, we all know that's the truth. Whether it's a sermon, a lecture, somebody a talk somebody gives on the radio, regardless of the content, if we just interact with it one time, the chances of remembering something from it are very small. And that's why God's Word tells us that. The psalmist, day and night... He thinks about it. He memorizes it. That's why we need to talk to others about it. And it's wonderful the, the structures we have at Crossway are conducive to that men's group, women's group, home group. Uh, we're in t- a lot of people are in touch with each other during the week. Uh, there are opportunities to talk about these things, and they get, get them into our hearts. Also, you could look at the PowerPoint when you get an email saying it's been posted. Um, I try to do this to keep up with you know when we 're doing the youth on Sundays. Uh, sometimes i 'll listen to the this whole sermon, but I 'd like to at least go through the PowerPoint and and uh, get the gist of what was said. So that can be another opportunity to re, to review it. Then discuss it in men or women 's group, and then the key thing here: obey what you heard, figure out what do I need to do as a result of this, And ob- obedience is key. Then accountability, really, I find so many things in my life, we, we want to obey, we want to do something, but until we make ourselves accountable to someone else, so many times that proves to be the key step in us finally getting something done that we want to do. Um, make ourselves accountable, say, hey, I really want to do this, but on my own, I'm just not able to do it, can you help me? And that's what accountability is about, is that person helping you, it's not just that they come back a week later and say, did you do it? Oh, you messed up again. No, that's not accountability. Accountability is, hey, man, I'm praying for you. I'm rooting for you. Uh, they call the next day say, hey, I know you're wanting to have a quiet time every day. Did you do it? How, how was it today? Were you able to do it? Uh, oh, No, you didn't. Okay, well, that's all right. Well, how about tomorrow? Maybe you can make a plan for doing it. Set your alarm or would it help if I call? Well, yeah, it would. So the next day, for a few days, you call the person, say, hey, it's 6.30, you wanted to get up and have your quiet time. That's somebody there rooting for you, wanting to help you. And so many times, we need help. God put us in a body because he wants us to work together to help each other. And the, the truth is, so often, when we finally are willing to be accountable for something, that's when we see us doing the things we want to do. When somebody's rooting for us and helping us, being the body of Christ to us. And then reviewing what you've been learning, going back. Maybe you want to, I know uh, one church, I knew somebody that um, took a three-hole punch, and after every sermon, they had a little booklet of all the sermon notes. And then they would highlight what the key lessons were for them. And periodically, every month, they would go through that and they would remember the different sermons, or they also kept a little sheet if they went to a Bible study. uh, If they heard a a talk on the radio, they would write down the ideas and highlight it. So they were constantly interacting with the truths they were hearing, and they remembered so much. They began getting into their heart and making a difference. So review is, is really key. a question that comes up is, wow, if I'm hearing sermons on the radio and one every Sunday and we have home group and I'm doing a quiet time every day and in the quiet time I'm supposed to apply it, aren't I going to have so many applications it's just going to overwhelm me and it's just impossible? How could I possibly do all that? And I think this again is a a beautiful thing about the structure here at Crossway is we have our silence and solitude and we put our top ten priorities and you focus on those. Now maybe throughout the year there's a, a teaching or you discover something and and it's really important to you and you want to make that part of your new top ten. Well then you can inc- or incorporate that into it. Um, but you can still also continue to review the other things that you're learning. So I hope that's helpful just in terms of practical ways to do this. We need to be good stewards of what we're given. And the Bible says whom much is given, much is required. That's a very sobering statement. Um, boy, we, in our lives, we've gotten the word coming into our life in so many ways. We need to steward it well. So it boils down. Are we going to be a radish with that one little root or the fruitful tree that's developed over time? Those roots go down over time. And then that fruitfulness over time develops. Okay, let me just take a moment and just ask, are there any questions about this that anybody has? I don't guarantee I have an answer, but if I can't, I'll find one for you. Or any comments, something that's helped somebody to process all these sermons and even sermons about sermons? Anybody have an example of something in your own life that's been helpful to make you a doer rather than just a hearer? Yeah. Yep, I think I agree with that. Scripture memory can just really be powerful. Even if it's just one verse a month. Um, But start with something and then you can add to that, but God, it's amazing how often he seems to use the verses that we commit to memory. Yeah, thanks for that, Ho, Any other thoughts? Yeah, that's excellent. I think one thing that's helpful is is if you can be thinking after a sermon, what's a way that I could naturally work this into a conversation? You know, So say somebody, what would be a topic if somebody brought up, I could say, oh, yeah, we were talking about that at church, importance of our Christians, you know, to get God's word from just being in their head down in their hearts that, yeah, sometimes Christians have a bad reputation because they study God's word, but they don't do it. And so we talked about, yeah, how can we we do it more or something? But yeah, to think about what can be the lead in to that uh, can be very helpful. All right, one last thought or comment. Okay, well, the application uh, time that we're going to discuss is to try to draw an application. How do you feel that the Lord wants you to increase your interaction, exposure, and obedience to the Word of God as you hear it each Sunday or even through, throughout the week? It's not just about sermons here. Um, Paul, do you want us to go into, into groups now, or do you want to do announcement first? Okay. All right, let's pray. Lord, help us to take your word seriously, where it talks about how foolish it is when we hear your word and then walk away not remembering what we heard. Lord, we truly do want to be good stewards of it. And Lord, to have heard so many blessings your word brings into our life. Lord, we want to be transformed. Give us a greater love for your word. Give us a strong, burning desire to be a doer of your word. We need your help, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.